Can you grow a tree in the air? It was a stupid rhetorical question, but one that appeared at a very crucial moment in global economic history. And it's a question that is reappearing again today in China, as many hope that the Chinese economy will rescue the rest of the world from its slide toward global recession. Now, when this question was initially asked, this was way back in May of 2016, think about the circumstances presenting and confronting the Chinese economic and monetary system at the time. 2014, 2015, into 2016, many people had feared the Chinese economy was going to experience a hard landing, or worse, um, monetary system, massive quote-unquote capital outflows as the dollar shortage took, it, uh, took full damage to the entire Chinese system, including outflows that uh, eventually measured around a trillion dollars, CNY, of course, crashed. So confronted with all of these challenges in early 2016, the Chinese went back to their Keynesian roots, or at least their technocratic Keynesian roots, that, that side of the uh, Chinese political equation. And Vice Premier Zhang Gaoli, Gaoli, said in early 2016, after unleashing a tidal wave of stimulus, both monetary and fiscal, he said it was opening the gate to see red, which I think was a good thing because in communism, Chinese red, all that stuff. But either way, he said it was an open sea and sky from that point forward. And the numbers, you know, the, the, the programs that were carried out bear out the idea that the Chinese were fully invested in this massive stimulus push. Uh, claims on other depository corporations at the People's Bank of China soared more than 200%, rising from 2.66 trillion RMB at the end of 2015 to more than 9 trillion at the end of 2017. That was sort of like a massive QE program in the way the Chinese do it. Uh, fiscal activity. State-owned enterprises, fixed asset investments soared by a 25%, nearly 25% accumulated basis rate early in 2016. So by April and May of 2016, massive fiscal push, massive monetary push. And that is the agenda everybody thinks of, thinks of today, that if the Chinese economy finds itself in enough problems, they're going to go back to their Keynesian roots and thereby introduce these massive, powerful waves of stimulus. And in doing so, not only rescue the Chinese economy, but by proxy, the rest of the world with it. Is that the case? Was that the case? What's going on in China today? We're going to talk about all of those things and more in just a minute. The first, I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. As always, thank you for thank you very much for watching. If you're interested, there are Eurodollar University memberships available at the Eurodollar University website, which is eurodollar.university. Member videos, exclusive member videos, go into the background behind the Eurodollar system, as well as the how it put how it fits together what are all of these outflows from china what do they mean we also offer daily uh, daily research subscriptions one a partnership with marketsinsiderpro.com which is on sale right now if you're interested in that as well as my own deep dive analysis at the eurodollar university website where we where we're more focused in those on the implications of all of these monetary political social social upheaval it goes on throughout the world. All the information available, eurodollar.university. So last week, we got a bunch of economic data from China that was 
pretty darn ugly and awful, which is sort of, I think, triggered this reflex that, okay, here it is. The Chinese economy is having a really rough ride, just like late 2015 into early 2016. So any day now, they're going to unleash the Keynesian torrent, just like they had early in 2016. And then we're going to see red in a good way, apparently, from this point on. And there were a couple developments over the weekend that suggest that the Chinese are at least altering their views on the economic situation, the political situation as it relates to the economic situation. Uh, the authorities in China removed or adjusted a reported 126 COVID-19 prevention measures, which has, of course, led to this widespread belief that the Chinese are going to completely end their madness, their zero COVID madness, free up the economy, let it fly, let it soar. Uh, the PBOC, uh, the one of the vice governors over there, said that the, the uh, they're going to uh, maintain ample liquidity so that the the Chinese government can implement uh, proactive fiscal policy, which China's Central Economic Work Conference suggested will focus on stabilizing the economy in 2023 and step up policies to ensure key targets are met, at least according to their political statement. So it sounds in many ways, maybe like China's finally getting off, getting back to its 2016 version, where we're gonna have a heavy dose of fiscal stuff, a heavy dose of monetary stuff to make sure that it all goes smoothly. And the problem is you can't grow a tree in the air. Now where that statement came from was, we don't really know. It came from an authoritative figure. That's all it was said. It, there was an article written in the form of a sort of a personal question and answer. It showed up in the People's Daily, which is sort of the which which is the Chinese government's official mouthpiece. And the term authoritative source invoked Mao Zedong, because Mao had once used that uh, pseudonym a long time ago when he was writing about Chiang Kai-shek in the People's Daily 1940s, it wanted to remain anonymous back then too. So all based on that, along with the content of the article, many people began to speculate this authoritative source must have been someone very high up in the government, if not Xi Jinping himself. Now what they said was, growing a tree in the air was relating to can you grow an economy based on nothing more than debt which again was something that the chinese were trying to do right at that moment so it sort of seemed kind of weird because the official policy was this keynesian fiscal and monetary uh, dual blast and here was this authoritative source that maybe had been xi jinping or someone close to him criticizing these policies. In fact, this, the article said that houses were made for built or houses were, were supposed to be built for people to live in, not as speculative investments or even savings, which again, much of China's stimulus focused on the real estate sector. So officially, China doing lots of stuff to to stimulate real estate, but then we have this weird article saying, this is not something that we should be doing. And in fact, the authoritative source said, I need to stress that the L shape will last for a certain period of time, and it's certainly longer than one 
or two years. The L shape referring to China's economic recovery, which in contrast to a V shape or even a U shape, an L shape means the Chinese economy would fall down as it had done in 2014 and 2015 and then not really get back up from there. It was an expectation that China's economy had ratcheted lower on a permanent basis. And therefore, reading between the lines here, attempting to grow a tree in the air through debt wouldn't just be wasteful, it would be an extraordinarily dangerous and harmful. Thinking about the Japanese situation in the 1980s, which is a subject that is never far from Chinese communist mind. In some ways, it was, in a lot of ways, this, this article in May of 2016 sounded like a prediction, sort of a way, a time, a way to timestamp this criticism so that in the future they can go back and say, I told you so. I told you this stuff was dangerous and that it wouldn't work. Because of course it didn't. By early 2017, it became clear that the Keynesian textbook approach that had been introduced early in 2016, by the middle of 2017 and toward the end of 2017, it had produced, it was clear that it had produced nothing more than the usual temporary short run burst and nothing more permanent than that. Again, growing the tree in the air during an L-shaped recovery is dangerous, especially in a situation like China's where debt had gotten far ahead of slowing economic growth, raising the prospects of a dangerous slide or a dangerous move toward uncontrolled unwinding, to something that, the, uh, again, the Japanese example that the Chinese have feared all along. And of course, what happened later in 2017? Well, a couple things did. There was the 19th Party Congress where all of a sudden, if you weren't paying attention, if you hadn't read this article in 2016, it appeared as if the Chinese had done a complete 180. Xi Jinping thought on socialism with Chinese characteristics for the new era was introduced at the 19th Party Congress. And what it said was, in kind of cloaked and clandestine language, but really not, if you understand what they're saying, that China was going to commit itself to quality economic growth and not merely quantity economic growth. Again, in the context of what had happened in 2016. 2016 was quantity economic growth over everything. Let's throw a bunch of government measures into the economy and see what works out. All of a sudden, Xi Jinping thought on socialism with Chinese characteristics for the new era, described the new era as one where we're not going to grow trees in the air, using massive amounts of Keynesian textbook stimulus that leads to wasteful debt or wasteful spending, creating dangerous levels or further making the levels of debt even more dangerous. Now, one of the rumored authors of this article in May 2016 was a fellow by the name of Lu He, or Uncle He as he affectionately was known. And wouldn't you know it, Uncle He was not only a close confidant of Mr. Xi Jinping, he also happened to be handed, after the 19th Party Congress, the powerful economic portfolio as he was made one of China's four vice premiers. In fact, I think it was the Economic Times at the time called him 
China's new economic czar. So the guy who wrote the rebuke to the Keynesian stimulus that was done under China's nominal number two, Li Keqiang, back in 2016, Li Keqiang, notably, one of those Keynesian technocrats who all of a sudden, after the 19th Party Congress, had been sidelined from economic affairs, even though, as China's nominal number two, the economy is supposed to be Li Keqiang's portfolio. So back up here and think about what happened. China entered a economic spiral. The Keynesian under Lee stepped in and said, we're going to save the day with our textbook Keynesian approach, massive fiscal and monetary activities. And arguably, you can the best you could argue is that it's like uh, QE in the United States or the ARA, it saved a bunch of jobs. It didn't get worse, but it sure didn't lead to recovery and whoever wrote that article in May 2016 proved to be absolutely 100% accurate in describing it as a L-shaped situation that was going to continue more than one or two years. So it would make sense that Lee sidelined from the economic portfolio in, in his place, Uncle He. Ever since that time, though, the Chinese have been absolutely steadfast about this Xi Jinping thought on socialism with Chinese characteristics for this new era. This new era that is dominated by this L-shaped, one in which we do not, or they do not, grow trees in the air. Unfortunately, most people in the West mistook what happened from that point forward for the U.S quote-unquote, trade wars. That China's economic slowdown after the 17th or the 19th Party Congress in 2017 into 2018 and 2019, they thought that was just the consequences of a few tariffs that the Donald Trump administration had implemented in response to weakening economic circumstances in the United States as well as the rest of the world. What was called globally synchronized growth under the most friendliest terms friendliest, most charitable reading of what happened in China, again, the idea that China was going to save the world, was anything but globally synchronized growth. It was globally synchronized, but it was not growth, nor was it about trade wars. China was simply changing its characteristics in the economy and its politics and its economic policies to more closely align with Xi Jinping thought on socialism with Chinese characteristics in the new era. And this new era is defined by the L, not Keynes. And everything that has happened since that time has reinforced this very idea. And I mean everything from the crackdown in Hong Kong to the, to the same crackdown inside China on the tech giants to their sudden, or at least apparently sudden willingness to tolerate real estate woes. Evergrande. Suddenly the Chinese are looking at their housing uh, housing system as if houses are to be built to live in, not as speculative instruments. Common prosperity, a term that Xi Jinping has come up with, which he seems to be enforcing, which says the same thing that Uncle He probably did back in 2016. Nothing has changed. There is no Keynesian cavalry coming to save the global economy. What the Chinese are saying is that they recognize 
the Chinese economic situation has gotten into a very dire straits and they're at best willing to try to stabilize the situation as much as possible to make sure that it doesn't get out of hand. They're not trying to reverse course. They're trying to limit the potential disastrous downside. That's all. And when you look at Chinese economic numbers, you understand why they might be thinking we have to do something about that downside. Again, mistakes and misconceptions about what's going on in China's economy. Because over the last year, it looks as if, if you don't know anything else about it, the problems in China's economy were due to the zero COVID policy. But it's not as if China's economy has been robust apart from the lockdowns in Shanghai and wherever else they seem to be popping up here and there all over the place. Again, it's the idea that China would be particularly, they would be really good. The economy would be very much, would be really fine, would be completely robust if the government would get out of the way. And if not just get out of the way with zero COVID, introduce the old Keynesian textbook into play. That's not going to happen. And the Chinese are not in a good situation to begin with. And we know, I mean, just look at the numbers. Last week, of course, the Chinese reported all of their major economic accounts, which were all various shades of atrocious. Uh, industrial production, 2.2% year over year, down from 5%. Retail sales, minus 5.9% year over year compared to minus 0.5%. A fixed asset investment, which is probably the most concerning one. Number one, because of the private side dropped to 1.1% on an accumulated basis, uh, which is the lowest outside of 2020 on, in history. And private FAI is pretty much the supply side of China. But even state-owned uh, FAI, which is, again, the outlet for fiscal stimulus, that slowed down remarkably in November of 2022 as well. Uh, home prices, they're falling at a 1.6% annual rate for the second month in a row. And despite all this, just last week, the PBOC announced that it was holding its MLF, one-year MLF, steady at 2.75%, which means that the loan prime rates, which are the benchmark credit rates for China's economy, both the one-year and the five-year, are almost certain to be left unchanged for the fifth consecutive month in December. That's not the same as 2016 at all. What China's authorities announced last week was that they are very much concerned about the downside potential, not just in terms of lockdowns, but the pressure, the structural pressure, especially as the global economy moves toward recession and therefore are only willing to introduce targeted measures to make sure that the economy, the economic downside leading to a financial downside does not get out of control. Because as Uncle He asked way back almost seven years ago, can you grow a tree in the air? And everything about Xi Jinping and his government since that time has been no. Not only can you not grow a tree in the air, we are not going to try because we believe that leads to the case like Japan in the 1980s. So there is no cavalry coming for the global economy as it heads toward recession. But it's understandable why certain people think that might be the case because in most Western commentary, it's still 2016. I'm Jeff, this is Eurodollar University, 
Thank you for joining me. I really appreciate it. Huge thank you and shout out to all the Eurodollar University members, as well as the research subscribers, the daily briefing, as well as the deep dive analysis. Again, information if you're interested, eurodollar.university. Until next time, take care.